Hey everyone, my name is John Spees and welcome to the Percussion Educator Podcast. Uh, this is going to be episode number one. Uh, this is my first podcast, so I'm really excited about it. Um, I've been wanting to do this particular one for a few years now. Um, I've had some ideas and it kind of had to get put on the back burner because life happens with work. I'm the, I was a high school band director for four years. Um, and I recently moved over to elementary, which has given me a little bit more time uh, to do a few more things that I love, including starting this podcast. So I want to start this out by talking about um, PASIC. If you don't know what PASIC or PASIC is, the Percussive, Percussive Art Society uh, International Convention that happens every year. Um, I was able to attend it this year. And I got to say, I came back ready to teach because I was so inspired by a lot of the stuff I saw. I saw a lot of good clinics, a lot of really good performances, and it just, you know, stuff like that just gets you excited. Um, as, as one of my friends likes to say, it either makes you want to practice or it makes you want to quit. And thankfully, it makes me want to practice. I mean, made me want to practice uh, being a better uh, educator. So just to kind of start off and tell you a little bit about what I'm planning on doing with the podcast is mostly I kind of want it to be an open forum driven by what you as the listener want to hear. Um, I'm going to try and do um, a lot of interviews with um, as many different educators as I can. Um, we've got a few. We got one really good one today for this first episode. And... Um, maybe some live performances, and really I just kind of want it to be listener-driven. So whatever it is that you want to talk about or you want to hear about, um, you can let me know. And you can let me know by following us on Twitter at at PerkEdPodcast. Let me say that again. I tripped a little. At PerkEdPodcast, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, or you can send me an email, uh, perkedpodcast at yahoo.com. Um, and we are also under Facebook. If you look, look for the Percussion Educator Podcast, uh, we'll be there. Um, I get to give um, a couple shout-outs to start. First of all, the music that you heard coming in and we'll probably hear a lot of throughout uh, the podcast uh, was taken from a percussion demo video of uh, a good friend of mine named Kit Chatham, who is a performer with Cirque du Soleil. Um, I asked him if I could use the music from his percussion demo um, for this podcast, and he graciously uh, said yes. So I'm definitely going to give a huge shout-out for him. Check him out. You can find him on YouTube. Just do a search for Kit Chatham, or I know he is also on Instagram at Kit Chatham. That's uh, K-I-T-C-H-A-T-H-A-M. So please, please, please check him out. All right, let's uh, let's talk about PASIC real quick again. A um, couple of things that I saw there that I was really excited about. Um, well, first of all, the performances. Um, I I only caught two of them. I was able to catch the uh, Pedrito, excuse me, Pedrito Martinez performance with his group on I believe that was Thursday night and then I definitely checked out Saturday night checked out Jojo Mayer with Nerve and checked out his um 
his uh, clinic that he had a couple hours before that. Um, and I have to say, I at first I wasn't sure what to expect from his clinic, and and kind of especially with the way he was starting out. But I got a lot out of it uh, in the end, and I was really kind of inspired to come home and and practice just from basically the back half of his of his clinic. And so I was really really super excited and glad that I actually got to see him because I've been wanting to see him play live for a long time. Really good. Uh, panel discussion actually uh, with the education panel, I believe I got that right, uh, or the, excuse me, the education committee. Um, they were talking about teaching today's generation, and it was a great discussion with some really, really good guys. Um, I do not have the names of everyone who's on the panel in front of me, unfortunately. Um, you might be able to go to pas.org and find out that information uh, if you want to know who is on the panel. Um, I do remember that uh, I believe Jim Campbell from the University of Kentucky was on the panel, but there was a couple other guys because um, they spanned it from university level all the way down to middle school. Um, and it was very, very encouraging because I obviously we all are teaching um, this generation and it does come with its own, uh, I guess, unique challenges. But I think every generation probably comes with its own unique challenges because the world is always constantly changing. And especially nowadays, Things are changing faster, probably than they ever have before, especially with technology and the way we communicate. I mean, we've only had smartphones for probably a little over a decade now, and I can barely remember a time when I didn't have a smartphone. So uh, that was really good. And <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, another really good panel discussion. Or sorry, it wasn't discussion with, um, I have to look up his name here, Carl Dustman. It was a professional development discussion um, about teaching, or not teaching, excuse me, working in the music products industry, which was something I actually really found interesting. So I think if you look him up, he had some uh, some material you might be able to find. You probably could shoot him an email if, uh, and ask him about it, and he could head you in the right direction if that's something you were interested in. Okay, let's talk about today's uh, interviewee, if you will. I was lucky enough to catch a couple of people at PASIC that I've known for a while uh, who agreed to sit down for an interview. And one of them was Dr. Greg Haynes, who teaches at Western State University in Gunnison, Colorado. I'm probably saying that wrong. Greg is not only a great educator, but he's such a unique mind. We met on the drum line at the University of Georgia. And his major was cognitive science, which should tell you a lot about Greg and the way he, he thinks, and just kind of the way his mind works. He, he has such a unique perspective on so many things, and I always love sitting down and talking to Greg about pretty much anything from percussion, education, video games, popular music, in pretty much anything. You could sit Greg in front of me and give me any topic, and I would be fascinated because just the way his mind works is just unique to really anyone I've ever met. So today's interview is Greg Haynes, and after the interview, I'm going to come back and we'll talk a little bit about his publishing company, and he's given me permission to put a recording of one of his pieces that he's selling through his publishing company, Strike Cleft Percussion. 
so that uh, everyone can get a chance to hear it. And I'll also include links to uh, his YouTube videos. So here we go. Episode number one of the Percussion Educator Podcast. The first uh, interview is Dr. Greg Haynes. Please enjoy. Oh man, it was really good. It was um, it was easy, no delays, and you know, flying United, you just never know. So uh, <laughs> it was it was a good. Plus, I'm sure time. sometimes flying out of Denver. Yeah, Denver's know. pretty reliable. It's oh, you it's know, really? getting the um, connection from uh, Gunnison to Denver. That's a little oh, shaky okay. on occasion. So. How long is the? How long would it be if you had to drive from Gunnison to? To Indianapolis. Um, let's see. That's a good question. I want to say it's probably in the range of 24 hours. To drive there? Yeah, I think really? so. Really? Because I can get to Kansas City in about... Okay, let me, let me do this. So, I can get to Gunnison to Kansas City in about 15 hours, and then Kansas City to Indianapolis. I'm assuming that's another 9 to 10. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, probably okay. a 24-ish. What if you... just What about the, just from Gunnison to Denver? What's that? Distance? Oh, that's not so bad. That's about uh, four and a half hours. Okay, well, that's not horrible. Yeah, it's not. They're However, worse. the uh, the rental car and the parking, and then the possibility <laughs> of mountains being closed, right? And then you just you know you. Just... What is uh, what is life like in Gunnison? You know, it's it's the winters are really cold there, and it takes some getting used to yeah. from uh, you know uh, living in Georgia and right, right. being in Kansas City and. Um, but, you know, it's a small town. It's a really nice place. It's, um, you know, it's a little more isolated from major metropolitan centers. Right. And so you can do anything anywhere with the uh, power of the Internet these days. Right. You know, but, you know, it's it's nice to sort of get out of town on occasion and, you know, go to a conference-like pace and right. just enjoy the, uh, <laughs> you know, the goodness. Nice. Oh, I you're actually the, recording, aren't I you? I started, yeah. I just, oh, fantastic. I just Very good. Why not? Why not? Um, how's uh, how is Aaron and the the what? Oh, what is your Isaiah? Son? Isaiah. Yeah, he's doing great. Yeah, they're doing really good. How's uh, how's dad life treating you? Man, it's uh, it's the best thing that there is, isn't I mean, there? My priorities in life are all about making sure I provide for my little boy and mm-hmm. you know give him a good upbringing and yeah, it's fantastic. I, uh, you know your uh, your priorities in life and your uh, you know your values are very. Uh, uh, different on the other side of fatherhood, as you know. So mm-hmm. it's 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 a good thing. It's kind of amazing how things change. Oh yeah, happens, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it it just kills me that he's, you know, uh, several hundred miles away right now. Yeah. And, you know, by the third day of this, I'm just gonna be dying to see him. Right. So it's, it's. Yep. Yeah, my son. We went away last weekend for another conference in uh, Atlantic City. Oh, cool. And then. Uh, he saw me packing a couple days ago and asked me where I was going. Oh, and so yeah. I'm going to Pazic and he just kind of started tearing uh, up. It like, just kills you. I, I know, know it kills you. <laughs> no, it's just... like, it's okay, buddy. I'll be back. I'll be yeah. back soon. Before you know it, you'll have I fun. I mean, the instant I checked into the hotel, I'm like, oh man, Isaiah would love this elevator. Yeah. He would love running around this room. <laughs> I just, you know, I see everything through his eyes now. It's it's not about me ever again. <laughs> so, um, what uh, what is the name of the college you're at? West, oh, Western State Western Colorado State University. College. How is uh, 
How long have you been there now? Yeah, this is my fourth year. Fourth year. How so is I, that? You know, I really like it a lot. It's got um, its benefits and its challenges. Um, I go up for tenure in a year now, so I'm sort of, you know, starting to look at that as far as, um, you know, the next the next big thing to, to go through there. But, you know, as a smaller university, um, it's great because I get to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, a, most of my teaching load is in the music theory sequence, and then okay. the other... Um, is uh, in percussion, you know, um, right. uh, ensembles, private lessons, and anything else. And I really like it that I get to, you know, dig in deep with individual students and right. sort of mentor them in a way that I think would be a little more difficult if it was a very, very large school and if I was teaching exactly one thing, um, maybe that experience would be a little bit different. Although, right. you know, I... I got to do that in Kansas City at Missouri Western, and you mm-hmm. know that's still a very you know a deep personal relationship with the students if you're right. doing applied studies. Yeah, so of there's course. nothing different there at all. Yeah, um, but you know, as a smaller school, we get to incorporate students into things that are a little outside their comfort zone. Right, uh, my steel band is. Uh, made up of a lot of vocalists and computer scientists right now. Really? Yeah, and if they can read music and if they can understand scales and the basics of theory, then I can teach them to play pans, and we can do things that are, um, you know, surprisingly advanced after they've played the instrument for a couple was, of years. Uh, was that... Was it, uh, your pan ensemble there when you got there? Or did no, you kind they of de- actually, they bought those pans when I got that job. And that was a really cool thing. Nice. They sort of recognized that was a strength that they could incorporate. And, um, you know, pans are much more affordable than, saying, buying you know, a symphony orchestra or right, something of course. like that. And so, how, yeah. are, how are the students liking the ensemble? I think they really enjoy it a lot. Um, you know, we rehearse... Um, in the evening, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a schedule that can work with a lot of other... Would you say it's late in the evening? I would say it's late in the evening. <laughs> is it too early for a we should... Uh, no, and we don't <laughs> even play that chart. In fact, they probably have no idea what that song is. They don't know anything about Steve Gadd's awesome uh, groove on the drum set or anything, but... Um, no, it, it, it works out really well with um, the other rehearsal schedules, and oh, yeah. as a chamber-type group, you know... We rehearse late, and we rehearse um, in times that don't conflict with you know the large ensembles like the choir and the orchestra and the symphonic band, and so um, you know it makes it uh, easy to incorporate new students into that group. Right. And yeah, it's great. I we sort of um, we play arrangements and we play um, you know lead sheets on occasion when we're mm-hmm. introducing new players to the instruments so that they can get their feet wet. Um, and I write a lot of stuff just custom for them specifically and. Uh, yeah, it's a great time. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's one of my one of my favorite times of the week is in evening rehearsals. Evening rehearsals. So, yeah. Nice. Do you just rehearse the one time a week or? We do with that group right that now. Group, yeah. There was a time at which I had two steel bands running and oh, nice. we uh, sort of alternated um, on different evenings. Um, but at the time, um, we didn't have enough bassists and drummers to go around, and it actually ended up being um, a little bit of a draw on that resource yeah. um, and so we're uh, we're at the one band now although I'd like to start a community group uh, get, yeah a little bit more of the uh, you know public buy-in and enjoying the experience well, especially for for and I don't know much about the town of Gunnison but I'm assuming for an odd type of ensemble that probably they would not normally see 
Yeah, it's in that true. Channel. It's true. We were very much the new, um, the new hip thing. The almost. new hip thing. Yeah, <laughs> when we started up, and it was a real, uh, it was a real blast. We get a lot of support from the community um, because they they really like that kind of music, and yeah. they probably didn't know that they liked that kind of music before we you know right. put it together. Um, the local music flavor is very much bluegrass, um, very much. Um, you know, more rustic kind of, uh, you know, acoustic music, and right. but they love the sound of the steel fans. They really That's do. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been I fun. just, I'm gonna step. I just realized that I should. Oh yeah. I should have shut the door. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably should have shut the door because I'm the one that walked through it last. <laughs> yes. The one more thing, I demanded that you come over to my room. No. And then you have to great. shut the door. <laughs> no, this is fantastic. So I would, I have to say, it's been. <coughs> I've kind of watched your career with interest just in oh, that, that just in that from where where I met you. You know, when I met you, you were a cognitive was cognitive, a cognitive science. science major. Yeah. Absolutely. And we were just in the drum line together. And then just kind of how that blossomed into um was it, you were at Kansas, right? Or was it Kansas State? Yeah, it was uh, University of Kansas, University of Kansas. After, after Georgia. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, it's been um, an interesting road with lots of twists and turns, I think, like anyone else has in right. their career, and especially with music. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, I don't really know anyone who is working in music and is doing exactly one thing. Right. I mean, really, if you're, if you're living and working um, in music, you usually have about three different projects going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, most people, you know, teaching is one aspect of it. And the other aspects could be um, performing or composing or engineering or um, something. Or it, with some people, it's, it's a job that has nothing to do with music at all, right? Um, right. But there's always some way of, you know, putting food on the table and providing for yourself and your family. Right. And then there's what you do as uh, sort of your artistic uh, passion, right? And right. sometimes it pays well and sometimes it doesn't. And right. in most cases it, it doesn't, right? right? But it's something that you're <laughs> continuing to build. And all these things are just symbiotic. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the more passionately you perform or you compose... Uh, the more passionately that you teach or, um, you know, work on other related projects. And it's kind of this symbiosis. And um, I think, you know, we have to be wide-eyed and flexible to some degree to allow that to happen. Um, at the same time, you know, we try not to spread our, ourselves so thin that um, if we don't give 100% to one of those things, it'll very quickly fall apart. And right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's sort of that, that balancing act we all do, and we're all spinning different plates. Um, but um, I think one of the projects I just started within this last year that I'm really excited about is scoring films. Um, How is that going? It's, it's, I love it. Man, I really like it That's a lot. That's awesome. That was something I, I was a little bit interested in when we were at Georgia, and I had discussions with uh, Steve Dance. I don't know if you remember oh, Steve Dance. Yeah, I had discussions I was, with him about it. I was in touch with him recently on that exact on that, same topic. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, because he's doing that for all these different yeah. uh, organizations. So what kind of films have you been scoring for? So in the last year, um, I've scored three projects. Uh, the first one was a documentary about Robert C. Bishop, who's a photographer. 
Um, and, and these are all short films. <clears throat> that was about 18 minutes, and it's being submitted to uh, festivals right now, so okay. it's not publicly available yet. Uh, the second one was a, um, a science fiction thriller called The Tesla Files, and the actors for that were recruited out of Albuquerque. And so, like, some of the actors that... Um, see, I don't watch a lot of, like, the current network television, but mm -hmm. Longmire, I think. And, okay, like, I, I know of it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I've never watched it, though. And so, you know, um, these actors <clears throat> were on the project, and that, um, that scoring project, I started it uh, last summer. I actually turned in the final draft of the score about uh, two weeks ago. And the premiere, uh, what's today? Thursday. The premiere is tomorrow. Oh wow! It's tomorrow. I'm not going to be there, but I hope it goes great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was really fun. How do you do? What do you do for for like the actual sounds? Do you do they rent an orchestra? It's or? actually it's different for every single project. Okay. So um, for uh, the Robert C. Bishop project, um, I recorded it myself. I did it mostly uh, with acoustic, real time resources okay um with just a little bit of virtual instrument um uh supplement right, right. and so uh, i was actually able to get a time lock of the entire documentary very very close and uh loaded that into the digital audio workstation took scenes and sketched in real time on a piano okay and then i could go back in and uh, arrange and edit and change things and at, for that project I was really allowed to select my own cues and there was a lot of independence and the oh, producer nice. was a, a good friend of mine and we worked closely together and um, yeah it really it was a great project and the the one that I just finished is uh, very different mm -hmm. it, it's a series of short philosophical vignettes and okay. it's kind of modeled off of the examined life if you've heard of that, mm -mm. it was new to me when I was um, just starting it, and um, that that project. So that's the one I finished two days ago, okay. and it had a turnaround of about a week and a half, oh, wow. which is pretty. And that's not unusual, actually. Really, um, usually, you know, the turnaround could be even quicker than that. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that I had <clears> a two, two, you know, two and a half months on the Tesla files—that's like unusually long. Yeah. So, for this one. Um, Instead of selecting cues, I was uh, given more specific instructions on what kinds of things needed music. Okay. And I actually provided the audio assets that are customized so that they go on to the, um, uh, the next person up who's producing. And he's going to take those audio assets and he's going to drop them in where they go best. Oh, okay. So he's actually doing the sequencing of the cues and I'm providing the assets to do that. Okay. And a lot of that was using, um, I mean, it's all using sort of, uh, you know, a real-time performance, but I used a lot of virtual instruments on that project. Okay. And it was really, uh, really fun. And, um, you know, I always try to send... Uh, a few <clears throat> previews out before I deliver the entire package because I want to know that I'm producing something that's going to work and uh, that it fits, you know, that it fits the needs. Because, right. you know, if you do the entire thing and submit it at once and, you know, it's not the right thing, then it's a heartbreaker. Yeah. So you give them just a little <laughs> bit and then you get some notes and comments and then you use that to kind of modify what the, you right. know, the full product, the real thing is going to be. That's cool. Uh, do you have any... Uh, do you have any upcoming projects that you know of? Uh, as soon as I finish that one, um, 
I uh, I sent out some you know some uh, feelers to other uh, producers and mm-hmm. people who I know need audio assets, but yeah. I don't have a specific project lined up at the moment. So I'm a free okay. I'm a free uh, <laughs> agent at free this agent at the moment. moment. Yes, nice. Yes. Now there's <clears throat> something I wanted to ask you about because it's something that I know you've been interested in for about as long as I've known you, and it and it was cool to see that you were able to take it into what you were doing and that was your interest in video game music oh yeah i'm so excited about um the possibilities there and i'm actually planning to attend the global game jam this okay. coming uh january and so are you familiar with um sort of that organization not exactly so basically how it works is there are um there is a body that picks a theme for game development and it applies to everyone all over the world participating in Mm -hmm. this thing and everyone meets at local sites um i'll be or i'm planning to go to denver because uh there's a lot of people there that are you know like-minded would be exciting to work with and it's you know um uh, programmers and people who uh, design video and uh, audio, and audio is kind of split into music composition and um, you know sound design, mm-hmm. and so those are two like completely separate camps. And uh, for games, uh, the engine or well, ba- basically the middleware that you use to design your sound banks, um, some uh, some. There are some very specific ones, but the two that are really big are FMOD and WYSE. And you sort of uh, design a sound bank so that it interacts with the game. The game issues these game calls, and uh, the sound bank uh, knows what to do so that it's a real interactive, um, dynamic experience for the user, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, your composition uh, has so many dependencies on, you know, whether your character in the game is. Uh, you know, low on life or is in a dangerous situation or if it's, you know, something that's, uh, you know, victorious and, um, you know, or you have full health, you know, these kinds of contingencies all play into how the sound bank behaves and reacts, you know, or what location that you're uh, located in. And so um, you kind of design your assets to um, respond to the game calls and you you load them into this middleware and it's a really it's a really cool thing nice um so i'm planning to use uh use wise i i can't i can't figure out if it's called wise or wise but it's capital w and then lowercase w i s e oh okay so i'm sure there's a right way to say it but you know that that shows you i'm, I'm kind of a noob right there so this That's is right. my this is my first sort of um experience in actually doing uh, music for games, or it will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited about that because I think it'll be a lot of fun. Now, do I remember this right? You did or do have a class? Yeah, school? yeah. So um, I taught a, um, a freshman seminar, I think my second year at Western, and the idea was uh, you could pick any topic you wanted to teach on. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, well, this is going to be a perfect opportunity to talk um, about music for uh, for video games because yeah. I always was sort of inspired by that sound and you know right. it's, it became the soundtrack of my childhood to some <laughs> degree and maybe yeah. for many people um, and so that was a a short class um, it was half a semester long okay. and we concentrated on game music uh, developed between the nineteen seventies and the nineteen nineties so okay it's a very very specific thing right um, but we got to talk a lot about um, you know, what it meant to uh, have sort of this uh, dynamic 
soundtrack that was implemented to create this immersive experience and mm -hmm. sort of hit major milestones along the way. Uh, sort of, you know, uh, the NES classic Metroid, where, you know, the sound is designed for the game in the same aesthetic, you know, and that mm -hmm. was a new sort of thing right. uh, when that was happening. And, you know, some of the more uh, notable composers and, you know, some of the innovations that they brought into it. Um, I introduced the students to sequencers and um, sort of the technology end of how those things work together. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really fun, and I actually uh, had a lot of resources I found online uh, to show them really, really early games. Um, things like uh, Computer Space and Tennis for Two, and you know, oh, videos okay. of these things actually <laughs> in use right. online. Um, a lot of young people, if they're not specifically into that, they probably haven't experienced those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have arcades on every corner like we used to when we were growing up. And right. so, the, you know, the excitement of walking into a room where you have all these custom-built machines that represent the state of the art in gaming... Um, you know, home consoles have really taken over that, you know, mm -hmm. in, in a huge way. So that experience isn't universal anymore. So, you know, we got to talk about, um, you know, sort of the early origins and, you know, um, these penny arcades and these casinos sort of influencing the idea of what it meant to uh, walk into the arcade and how the sound design and music really fit that aesthetic too. The sound design was more important than the, uh, mm -hmm. the music uh, for an arcade setting because you needed to grab people's attention. Right. So, you walk into, you know, Caesars, and it's glittering, right. uh, you know, sound. I'm sure you know it well, John. <laughs> so, I, tr I try not to. I, I know, try to stay I away know. when I can. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and um, I attracted a very specific group of students with that class, and I think uh, they were they were pre-inclined to enjoy it. So, no. Yeah, well, that's, that's it's... Good. You know, they the, weren't forced to take it. <laughs> it's, it. That's always nice, though, when you can, you know, when they're obviously there to want to learn all. Of yeah, this yeah, yeah. It, different from teaching a genie <clears throat> or something, right. where you know they're they're in that class for the credit, whether they care about the material or not. Right. You know, these students were sort of invested uh, t t in some degree uh, upon enrollment. Yeah, that, that was really fun. And I I think uh, I think sometimes people forget how much influence video games and arcade games too have over people. Mm -hmm. um, we have this uh, place um, in. Vegas called the Pinball Hall of Fame. Awesome. Um, it's pretty much just an arcade, but it's an arcade that has games going back to all the way to like the 50s. Oh, and man, back, that's and I, really awesome. Uh, several years ago when my dad was visiting us, I took him there, yeah. and he was even surprised at games he remembered from when he was younger and, um, you know, just, or if it wasn't that game, it was the style of game mm -hmm. he remembered and, and had everything from roughly the 1950s or so all the way up to now. Nice. Um, nice. And it was that, I always enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you appreciate the level of engineering that had to go into some of those um, those early games and those early machines and mm -hmm. the things that they had to do to create that experience, which the process to do that is so much different now and some things are so much easier now to do mm -hmm. than they were at the time. Um, you know, when you when you get to appreciate that element about it, it just it makes it that much deeper. The whole the whole history, and right? It's, it's, it's exciting. 
So, I know we've talked before about um, publishing, but you also have yeah. your publishing company, right? Yeah, and that's that's the other project I'm really excited about right now is um, uh, the publishing company is Strike Cleft Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is to create this new model of efficiency where um, the pieces can be accessed immediately through the website, Mm -hmm. um, previews uh, of the sound, and in some cases uh, the performance. Um, It gives your potential customer a little flavor of what the piece is like, and it's strictly for uh, pieces that are for percussion or involve percussion heavily. Right. And upon wanting to purchase a piece... um, the consumer can make a uh, a transaction through PayPal, and then I have a third party uh, plugin that actually pulls inventory from the cloud and sends them licensed PDF to their inbox immediately. So they oh, get nice. the music seconds after they purchase it. Nice. And I feel that with um, <clears throat> you know the internet being uh, really the great equalizer, right? Um, there's no reason that we need to send paper back and forth from Hong Kong to print hundreds and thousands of volumes of things. And right. the overhead and the extra time and energy that goes into that, I think, is not so useful right now when um, people have access to uh, great devices that read PDF. They can print out their own yeah. copies. If they lose <clears throat> the piece of paper, they can print off another one. Right. They don't have to despair and go buy another copy. <laughs> um, people don't need the physical paper. They need the action. They, they need the music and right. whatever representation that serves them the best. Yeah. Um, and so, in eliminating that overhead and making it more <clears throat> efficient. Um, and using uh, sort of a cloud inventory process um, that frees up my overhead so that instead of giving composers the 10% cut that is mm-hmm. uh, sort of become the industry standard, uh, I can make that 40% because okay. I feel the customer would like to make a purchase and to know that a huge chunk of that is going to the person who wrote the music, right. not into these sort of infrastructures and uh, legal uh, services and right. accounting services <laughs> and, you know, that it just vanishes upon, <clears throat> right. you know, um, all this overhead. So um, <clears throat> I think that with that approach, um, you know, there's a larger community buy-in. Um, I'm able to donate uh, a percentage of the income to resources that are uh, geared to enhance music education. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be launching a scholarship Within the next, probably within the next couple months, um, so that we can provide a a scholarship to students entering uh, college their freshman year, so students coming coming out of high school. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited about the project um, because uh, it's efficient. It uses new uh, resources Mm -hmm. uh, that and technologies, and it you know. It has sort of a, a disruption kind of uh, aesthetic to it. And right. it, it's not a brand new idea either, right? I mean, right. Tap Space and Drop Six are doing very similar things right, right. now. Um, and so, <clears throat> but the fact that there's no physical uh, media at all involved, I think that's the way things are going now. It's yeah. sort of a 21st century approach. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. You know. How are you, what are you, are you, what are you using to kind of market the publishing company? Is it mostly social media stuff? Yeah, we have, I mean, some social media presence for sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, things like Google AdWords, 
Um, as far as um, you know, doing more of the uh, the marketing side of things, um, I'm talking to a few people to get them in on the project. So okay. That, you know, they can, uh, you know, spend more energy in um, you know accessing composers and customers. Um, we're also submitting works to uh, state contests in all 50 states. Oh, wow. And so for um, a solo and ensemble contest, say, in the state of Texas, right, there's right. a prescribed music list. Yeah. And so uh, those lists are really important for publishers to have their pieces represented because, yeah. you know, that's sort of the bread and butter of what is a student going to play for their contest solo, the contest right. ensemble. And so a lot of states have those lists and they turn around and they refresh every few years. Um, and so we're uh, submitting our pieces for those lists as well to, you know, be part of that, um, that same catalog. Nice. So is there a, a website up? <clears throat> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, www.strikeclef.com. The, okay. Uh, the website itself, and there's previews of all the pieces we have on there. Right oh, really? Now. Most of them are mine. Most of them are But uh, but yeah, we're um, there's a composition contest that is currently uh, in action right now. Um, for about uh, for about the next month, I want to say uh, all pieces are due in December 9th. And, okay. Um, what are the categories? So two categories: solo percussion and small ensemble. And for the winners of either one of those categories. Um, it basically uh, uh, confers a uh, publishing contract with a $500 advance. Oh, nice. Yeah, and so, you know, it, it sort of, you know, uh, equalizes uh, the playing field. You know, if you're a brand new composer, if you're a seasoned composer, um, you know, all entries are anonymous. Uh, okay. No names on the scores and, um, you know, the piece that is... Um, sort of, you know, uh, compositionally uh, most desirable and, you know, um, we'll have a, a small panel that sort of goes through all the pieces and we'll make that offer um, shortly after. Do you, do the, they, when they submit the, the piece, does there have to be um, an audio component to it? It's, it's encouraged, but it's not necessary. I okay. mean, I can really take a score um, at this point and... Um, you know, visualize the complete ensemble sound in my head now. Mm -hmm. um, but if there is sort of, um, you know, a great mock-up or if there's been a live performance, mm -hmm. um, that's great. That gives yeah. a little bit more, um, you know, of a flavor of the actual experience of the music for right. the listener. Um, but the only, um, the only uh, hard constraint is that uh, the composer owns the copyright it's not an arrangement of something else right. and that someone else is not already publishing it because right. well they have the the rights to print it right know? of so course that's uh, yeah so that's the obvious part <laughs> um do you have other ways uh do you or I, I, let me ask you a question this way um do you accept submissions from composers yeah. or do you go out specifically looking for yeah both ways in fact uh about Two or three hours ago, uh, there is uh, there was a composer I was having coffee with this morning, and I gave him a card because I was interested in his music. And, nice. Uh, so it goes both ways. Um, I probably won't accept any more submissions this calendar year mm -hmm. um, because the composition contest um, is sort of um, you know that's that's the project we're sort of uh, putting our 
resources into right now, but once January, right. February turns around, um, we'll reopen for submissions to Strike Life. And Note to self. Yeah. Submissions. Absolutely, please. John. Come on now. <laughs> I think it would be perfect. I mean, it, it should really be something that is of equal value to customers and composers. Right. Um, because the percentages are higher for the composers. Um, there, there's a, a little bit more public buy-in. Um, and for the consumer, um, they get to preview pieces, and they get those pieces immediately, mm-hmm. um, and they don't have to worry about losing a piece of paper. So That sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I feel like there's no reason why this shouldn't be really successful, unless mm-hmm. I screw it up personally. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying very hard not to do that. <laughs> uh, uh, well, what you going to do? Exactly. Um, so what... Uh, what are you excited about seeing at PASIC this year? Oh, gosh. Well, um, as far as performances, I'm excited about JoJo Mayer. Oh, yeah. Because I saw him in Kansas City. Uh, he did a performance-slash-clinic in, it must have been 2008, 2009. Okay. And I was really blown away and impressed. I mean, it was so musical and so um, interesting, and I love watching him play. So mm-hmm. that that's big on my list. Um, the other thing is um, I'm new to the composition committee uh, for PAS this oh, nice. year, and so I'll be doing their, uh, you know, uh, I'll be at their panel discussion and participating on their committee at the meeting, and um, there's a lot of uh, really respected composers for percussion on that group, and I'm excited to be a part of it. So that's, nice. that's actually um, between that and one other meeting, that's, those are my uh, number one reasons for being here. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, so when I saw uh, on the on the guidebook when I saw uh, that JoJo was uh, yeah was gonna be playing and he's doing the clinic and then Nerve is performing. I, yeah, and, uh, I was yeah. really excited about that. Oh yeah, I mean, just such a wonderful player. And I mean, at this point, you know, both of us have been through every aspect of percussion in one mm-hmm. form or another. Yeah, and um, I don't find myself. Um, drawn asymmetrically to one thing over another anymore. Yes. I think it, four years ago, it would have been all about solo marimba for mm-hmm. me. And, you know, four years before that, it would have been all about marching percussion, you know, right. despite, you know, some uh, some interesting, you know, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been a mixed uh, a mixed relationship, you know. Right. Uh, you know, joy and anger all in one right there. <laughs> but, I think everyone involved in that activity goes yeah, through both those emotions, yeah. <laughs> and usually both at the same time. Yeah, it, it felt like that a lot. <laughs> um, but you know, um, you know, between you know uh, marimba and steel pan and um, you know, great drum set playing. I mean, I'm not I'm not a huge performer on drum set, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I I that does still make up a big part of my activity and so right. I, I love to watch great solo artists and yeah. great drum set players and it's just the music is just so inspiring you know it's, it's just it's all about the music you know mm-hmm. it's not about the specific instruments so much anymore yeah. I had this similar discussion with someone um, the other day I think before I left Vegas about how you know in college I was all about uh, solo marimba and, and some orchestral stuff and then it just as I get older just some of that stuff like I'm much more into drum set playing right now awesome. which I've never really been since high school and awesome. even in high school I got more into the marching stuff and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. 
it just it is kind of funny like how tastes change and how things change and, yeah. and when i was in, in college i don't know and maybe i still think this is kind of true for people especially younger people it's kind of all about the technical when you're mm. younger yeah it's about it's about can i play this piece you know can i play merlin can i play yeah something else yeah. and then as i get older i'm like i just want it to sound good yeah i don't well, care how simple it is i just want I, it to sound nice i agree completely you know i mean i remember choosing pieces of music to play because they were difficult and mm-hmm. now i look back and i think that is just the worst reason i mean and, and this is th- these were my own mistakes this wasn't like my teacher saying i should play something because it was difficult it was right. me being young and thinking it was all about the chops and all about the technique and i just wanted to play the hardest thing out there and now you know i would think well you know if i could sit here and just play the most perfect quarter notes in the universe well, that's that's better than anything else, right. <laughs> you know. I mean, I would sit there and listen to Steve Gadd play "Perfect Time," and be so much more satisfied with that musical experience than digging into something that was, you know, very very uh, difficult and archaic and um, sort of missing that aspect of you know perfect simplicity. Yeah, you know, there's just something that is magic about that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. And I don't have anything else until like uh, four o'clock, so I'm all. This oh, is nice. sort of my. This is my relaxed pace. Your relaxed pace. Yeah, all the, yeah. All, I, all the I have kind of the same thing. Tomorrow. I'm actually meeting up tomorrow <clears throat> with uh, Sean Womack. Oh, cool. To get some recording stuff in. Oh, nice. I'm trying to do. I've been wanting to do this podcast for three years now. Man, I and, I want to hear all about it because um, I have I have two other colleagues that were interested in the same idea. One of them um, is doing it uh, very successfully, and the other one, I think, may have abandoned the project. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's a great idea. Well, I, I started, I started, I, I don't know. I just kind of, it's come in and out, and I've tried different things. And um, I, I figured it would probably be a good, uh, a good project because I do have kind of access to a lot of people in the percussion world, both in marching mm-hmm. and in concert, people Absolutely. I've known. And even though I'm... I myself just kind of do percussion on the small scale. I'm now an elementary music teacher. Yeah. Um, but I still I still work with uh, the WGI line that I work with. And, awesome. um, and uh, I took a year off of marching this year, doing anything marching band related, but I'll probably start teching back up next year. But I mm-hmm. like I've already, I've had, the, the name of the podcast is the Percussion Educator Podcast because I'm, cool. I'm not very creative. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I've been sitting on the email and the Twitter handle for about two or three years now. Cool. So I was like, you know what? I Last year I meant to do it and I didn't do it. And I thought, you know what? I might as well just grab people while I can mm-hmm. and just kind of record. And I, Absolutely. I really just kind of want it to... I don't even know mm-hmm. what form it's going to take yet. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm just like, I just want to get people in and just have conversations. Oh, just yeah. catch up, see what people are doing. Because I'm sure... Awesome. I'm sure some everyone's going to be... It's going to reach somebody in some capacity, so... Absolutely. You know, it probably won't be... I don't know if I'll make it just the conversation. I'll probably try and add a couple of different things. I'd like to put some live performances on it. Oh, or yeah. Or at least recorded performances. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be perfect. Just to say, oh, hey, you know, we talked about this piece, and then here's and a recording here of this piece. Absolutely. Throw it up on... Or at least parts of it or something like that, so you never know. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a great idea. So I figure, I know a lot of people in the in the activity, I should probably, uh, I should probably utilize, utilize them. Yeah, to, absolutely. To kind of do this little project, so. 
I but, mean, music in all forms is a collaborative thing, you know? Yes. I mean, it's uh, the, uh, the transmission and podcast version is no different, I imagine, right? So, right. Cool. Cool. Well, um, thanks for coming in and talking with me, man. Yeah, John, this has been a lot of fun. This is, uh, this is great. I'm really excited to <laughs> see how everything um, uh, moves forward and... Um, you know, I think it's a. I think this is a really great idea to get more people speaking about percussion and sharing experiences. Um, we all have similarities and differences in our, right. our experiences, and, uh, and there's a lot of misinformation out there about what those things are. And well, this is a good another resource. another thing that I, I always I promised myself when I would do it is <clears throat> there are so many people who have. Well, first of all, you know our acti- our world is vast mm, yeah. in percussion as far because it includes so many different things it's true so mm. many different you styles never hit the bottom of it. yeah and there are so <clears throat> many different sort of feelings on technique and the way things should be played and how things should be interpreted and stuff like that and i promised myself that um i was going to try to represent everything nice as much nice. as possible re- regardless of whether or not it was something i felt was correct or not because Honestly, the older I get, the more I realize what works for me is not going to work for somebody else. And what works for somebody else is not going to work for a third person. And so I'm hoping that this will turn into some kind of forum to just an additional way of expanding ideas and collaborating in some form or another. Absolutely. And who knows how it goes from there. So, Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, John. By, thanks man. so much for uh, for doing this with me. Not a problem. I'm, I'm honored to be part of the uh, you know the the early recordings here. <laughs> right now, great. you're the first. Oh, fantastic! Oh, I'm even more honored. I'm That's probably awesome. gonna before I get. was Dr. Greg Haynes. And like I said before, I'm now going to play one of his pieces. This is a piece called Etude in A for Marimba that is available on his site. And there's also a video on YouTube. You can uh, look it up under that name, or I'm going to include a link on the website. So please enjoy Etude in A for Marimba.
Ladies and gentlemen, that is episode one of the Percussion Educator Podcast. I've been thinking about a while for how I want to end uh, the episodes, and I think I'm going to take a cue from a childhood favorite television show that I used to watch, and I'm sure most of you used to watch, and that's Sesame Street. And But instead of being uh, sponsored by the letter A, this episode is going to be sponsored by the rudiment, Flamacue. So my challenge to you as educators, see if you can find a way to get the Flamacue in, to your students' hands between now and the next episode, which hopefully will be up in January. I think this is going to be a monthly podcast, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on social media and hearing what you think. Uh, please find us on Twitter at PerkEdPodcast, same as Instagram, or look us up on Facebook under the Percussion Educator Podcast. Hoping to hear from you guys soon. I'm out. <laughs>